Uh, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Sean White. If you are new to East Brainerd, it's been a while since I've had a chance to, uh, to preach, and so I'm thankful for that today. I'm one of the youth ministers here, and I'm thankful that uh, Chris is uh, letting me fill in for him because we have traded. He is going to cover our next all-nighter and lock-in, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We don't do lock-ins. Um, I, I'm too old for that. Um, I just am. I've, I've passed the, uh, the age of lock-ins. Uh, just way too old for that. Um, you know, because it, it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, getting older, you know, one day you're a young youth minister and you're living on a steady diet of pizza and Doritos and Mountain Dew. And then the next thing you know, you get winded and you're walking upstairs every time. You're just like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. Um, you know, nobody told me when I was in my 20s that it was going to be like you hit 30 and you get closer to 40 and you're just, you're going to hurt. You're going to get out of bed and things are going to creak and crack and you're going to just be like, ugh, it, it's going to be hard. Nobody told me that. Um, it's getting hard. Getting older is hard. But I, I've got to show you this picture. Um, this, 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 I'm so proud of this. Uh, my wife knows. Uh, for two weeks now, uh, I've made a change and I've closed out all my circles on my watch I've exercised for two straight weeks. I'm so proud of myself because I'm 37 now and I can't just eat pizza and uh, Doritos and Mountain Dew and Cokes and I just can't anymore. And so I, I, I'm proud of this and I wanted to show it all off to you all this morning um, so that you can know and be proud of me too that um, I'm trying to exercise um, and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, growth is in the natural order of life, right? We get older, um, we get older every day. Um, you know, uh, I, I always joke with people, they'll be like, oh, I'm dying. And I'm like, yep, every second, right? You know, from the beginning we're born, we're dying, right? It's just a slow, slow march uh, to death. Um, you know, it is, right? It is. Um, and, but we get to do some amazing things along the way. So yeah, joy. Um, <laughs> I made that sound a lot grimmer than I meant to. Um, but hey, um, you know, so, so we get older and we grow up um, and some things are going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard. It's, like I said, I've been working out. Um, last week, um, I did a really hard kind of workout on Monday. And so all week, my legs were just done. Um, I worked out on Monday and then played church league basketball that night. And I, I seriously, like, I, would, I could barely walk. I was like, oh, my legs. And I'm a whiner. And so I whined about it constantly uh, to my wife and just like, my legs. And she's like, shut up. Man, I'm just tired of it. Just get over yourself. I'm like, but two weeks worth of working out. I'm just, anyway. Um, but growing up is hard, right? It's growing up grow, or growing older is hard. Um, growing anything is hard. Some of you know this. Uh, if you've uh, ever tried to start a business, grow a business, growing a business is hard. Maybe you've worked in a company that was small and tried to make big steps and grow. Uh, growing is hard. Uh, relationships are hard. Growing a relationship is hard. Those of us uh, who are married know, know that growing uh, a relationship, you know, we've been married almost 14 years now. Um, it is still as challenging at times as it was, you know, when we first got married because growing a marriage is hard. Um, growing kids, raising kids, for those of us who have children, that is hard, right? Because kids are crazy. Um, and so I want to show you this video. That, man, this video, I, I love this video so much. Because kids, kids are crazy. And growing, growing them up is hard. So here you go. 
Your mommy is going to be very upset with you. I didn't do it. Who put all of that? Mm -mm. Who put that on your face? I don't know. Ava, you have a marker in your hand. Hmm? Hmm? A marker. Who? Where, did you do that? No, I didn't. Ava, are you telling the truth? No. I know you're not telling the truth. Your mommy is going to be really upset. Oh, man, I love that video so much. My favorite thing, you have a marker. A marker? Hmm? Um, you know, raising kids, they're growing up. It's hard. It's crazy. Um, so we've been talking about growth or big, and today we're going to talk about growth. Um, Chris has been walking us through this series, taking big risks, big faith, having big love. Last week talked about God's big house uh, for everybody. And so we're going to kind of jump off of that and talk about um, growing and growth. And, and now I could probably talk about personal spiritual growth or church growth for a, a long time. That could be uh, each have its own monthly series, um, but I don't get that much time because, um, you know, I'm just the youth minister here. So um, that's for Chris to do later. Um, but I'm going to talk about the big picture today. I want to talk about um, the bigger picture. I want to talk about kingdom growth. And what does it look like for Jesus' people to take part in the growing kingdom of heaven, as Jesus would call it? Um, so we're going to dig into today, if you want to open up your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Um, and I want you uh, to see some things. I want, my hope is that you're going to see some things that once you see it today, and once we talk about it this morning, that you won't be able to unsee it. And you won't be able to unhear it. And it will change the way you think about kingdom growth. Um, so Matthew, in Matthew's gospel account of Jesus, he's really kind of gearing it towards the Jewish community. So what he does at the beginning, right, he starts with a genealogy um, that starts with Father Abraham. Um, it goes into David. It goes into eventually Joseph husband of Mary, father of Jesus. And Matthew makes a point to let you know that it's 14 generations from Abraham to David and then another 14 generations from David to transportation into exile and then another 14 from transportation into exile till we get to the Messiah. All very Jewish things and there's some fun number things um, if you're ever interested in that just look up the 14 generations it's fun um, the, the Hebrew people and their numbers it's pretty awesome um, but it's all very Jewish and it's all very purposeful um, so Matthew has set up his gospel in five discourses five major discourses that Jesus is going to have throughout um, and they kind of parallel and they match maybe the five um, major books of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in between that, there's going to be miracles, there's going to be other events, and he's going to bookend his gospel with the birth narrative and then the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so in Matthew 13, we get the third major discourse with the Sermon on the Mount being the first and then later Matthew 10 being the second and then Matthew 13, the third. But this one is about the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what Jesus' message is, right? Jesus' message is all about the kingdom of heaven has arrived and has come down to earth. And Jesus is ushering in a new way of life. Uh, if you want to read what that looks like, it's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. What does it look like to take part in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, Jesus is talking about that everywhere he goes, every place he steps into, every town. He talks about what does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And he tells Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, 
But in 13, uh, Matthew is going to use seven parables, right? Seven parables. Um, again, just Matthew is smart and genius and seven, you know, the Jewish number of wholeness and completeness. So he's going to put seven parables right here together. And we're going to really key in on the two in the middle. But these pa seven parables are going to open with some garden imagery. Because if you open up your Bibles from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, what do we see? We see the ultimate garden as the place of God, right? We see God's place on earth as a garden. And so throughout the scriptures, um, the, the kingdom of heaven takes place in a garden. And if you really read your Bibles and you uh, underline, if you get out a highlighter one day and just start going through scriptures, every time you see a tree, a bush, um, a vine, I mean, it's everywhere. It'll, it'll just blow your mind how many times you see garden imagery because that's what we're longing for, right? Since we were expelled from the garden so long ago, we've been dreaming about getting back to the garden. And so throughout scripture, there's going to be hints and there's going to be um, little places here and there where God's going to give us garden moments to connect with him. Garrett last week talked about this a little bit during his communion talk. And he talked about the garden imagery and the tree of life because from the beginning, we wanted to be, we were in the garden. Then after that, we've been in a constant state of longing for that garden. So the imagery we see throughout the scripture is God's desire to establish a new garden, right? God wants to establish a new garden that we get to be in, that we get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And Jesus is here to start all of that. So Matthew 13 opens with the parable of the sour, uh, the sour, sower, and then the parable of the weeds. And in between, Jesus is going to explain the sower and talk about why he tells parables. So in this section, uh, he mentions that people don't see or hear what is happening a handful of times. If you read Matthew chapter 13, you're going to be like, man, people are blind and deaf and dumb um, the way Jesus thinks of them. And he talks about this a lot. And what he does early on um, is he's going to quote uh, in verse... Um, He's going to quote in verse uh, 14. He's going to quote Isaiah. And this goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 6, starting verse 9. He's going to say, uh, God telling Isaiah this. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their eyes dull and close, their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and be turned and healed. So this is the Isaiah throne room scene, right? We know that, right? Isaiah throne room, where Isaiah has a vision of God on the throne, and there's smoke, and there's terrible uh, cherubim everywhere, and they're, they're scary, and he's terrified. And one of them comes and touches his mouth with a hot coal and and refines him and burns his mouth but it doesn't hurt him and he says Lord here I am send me that whole moment because God what God's doing is he's telling is uh, Isaiah that Israel is lost and they've closed their ears and they've covered their eyes and they've hardened their heart to him and they don't want to hear what Isaiah is about to tell them they don't want to hear it they don't want to recognize that God is doing things amongst them because they don't want to hear it because they have a picture of who they think God is and they don't want to see it and they don't want to hear it. So they've closed their hearts to him. And so when Jesus tells these parables, this is what he quotes. He says, there are people who have covered their eyes and covered their ears and hardened their hearts to what the kingdom of God looks like. And he'll continue uh, verse 
uh, 16, he's going to say, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear. So who's Jesus talking about? Who's Jesus talking to? Who's Jesus talking about? Jesus is telling these parables to a bunch of poor people, a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of farmers, a bunch of people who just work in the market. Jesus is talking in parables to these people. These are who he's talking to. And he's talking about the religious people. So he's telling these parables and the disciples come over and they're like, why do you keep telling these stories, Jesus? Why do you tell all these things? And Jesus can say, remember Isaiah chapter 6. Remember when the people were hardened and they covered their eyes and they covered their ears because they didn't want to hear what God was doing and what God was saying. And so Jesus tells these parables. He's saying those who are supposed to hear and those who are supposed to get it because they're God's people, they're not getting it. But those who you don't think are going to get it, they're going to be the ones who see the Spirit of God moving in the kingdom on earth. So just by reading Matthew, we know exactly who Jesus is talking about. Matthew is a critique of the religious establishment. Time and time again, Matthew points out that the religious people, the church people, are the ones who don't get it. They have a lack of integrity. They come to synagogue, they come to church, they do the churchy things, but in their hearts, they're cold and they're broken and they don't love the way that God has called them to love. They keep the laws, but they're not faithful to the calling of God. So the Pharisees, the temple priests, they have quit listening to God and they've closed their eyes and they've shut their ears off just like Isaiah's time, just like the people of Isaiah way back when. And Jesus is saying, they don't get it. So I'm going to tell stories for those who are willing to hear and those who are willing to listen. But we're talking about growth today, so we're going to be focused primarily on Matthew chapter 13, 31 through 33. Jesus says this, he says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He, then, he told them uh, still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the, do the dough. Boom. Done. That's what Jesus says. And we're like, okay, we get it, we get it, um, we get it. But there's so much goodness here. And, and we're going to talk about the mustard seed for just uh, first. I, I think sometimes what we do with this mustard seed parable is we overlay what Jesus is going to say in a few more chapters in Matthew 17 where he talks about our faith being as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. What we do is we overlay that and we put it on this parable. And what we think Jesus is saying is that, okay, if you, just, if you have small faith, it's going to get bigger, right? If you're just faithful, small things get bigger. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily what Jesus is trying to say. I think Jesus is talking about a movement. Jesus is talking about something so small, like a mustard seed. So small. And, and we know that the mustard seed really isn't the smallest of seed. But to a group of poor uh, Middle Eastern farmers, this is going to make his point. Because it's not about the smallness. It's about what happens next. It's about what happens to the seed. 
So what happens to a seed when a, when a farmer uh, throws seed in the field? What does it do? Well, first it dies, right? A seed has to die before it can become anything else. It has to quit being a seed before it can be anything else, before it can be a sprout. So it dies, it transforms into something new. Then the mustard seed becomes a bush. And this is what Jesus' main point is. It becomes a bush and then it gets so large that it's not even a shrub anymore, it's a tree. And what happens next? The birds of the air come and they make its nests and its branches. A mustard tree. Something so small, a seed that's willing to die to become something new, to grow into something so big that the birds come and they find rest and they make a home in its branches. So let's think about this in terms of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is here to establish. The bringing of heaven to earth. The inauguration of a new Eden. A new creation where there will be a new tree of life that we get to be in its branches, right? The end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, there will be a new tree of life and God's people will find shade under its branches and at its trunk. We will be there. We will be in the shade of this new tree. And so what's Jesus saying? I think he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is something new, something that is birthed out of the old, something that goes from small to so big that it has plenty of room for people to find rest and make its home. You know, I, I always think of this when, um, when people come forward with prayer requests for the sick. And I love praying for the sick. But I always want to ask, what's in your heart? What are you struggling with? What do you need rest from? Because I think we're fooling ourselves if we're sitting in this room and don't think we need rest from something. And Jesus is telling us the kingdom of heaven is so large that when we need rest, we can find rest in its branches. We can find a home in its branches. We can find rest. You see what he's saying? It's saying that for those who don't have ears to hear and those who don't want to see a large tree, they're not going to get it. They're going to be stuck. They're going to have their little Jesus and their little Christ and their little God view, and they're going to be stuck. And they're not going to see a big tree that provides rest for the world that needs it. It doesn't sound like good news if you're telling people they can't look at your tree. It doesn't sound like good news when you're constantly kicking people out of the tree. It doesn't sound like good news when the tree isn't big enough to hold those who need the rest because they're weary and they need a home. Jesus thinks that the kingdom of heaven is bigger than we've ever thought it should be. And it just keeps growing from a seed to a bush to a tree. But then let's talk about the yeast. Because I think that this is so interesting. He says this. He told them still yet another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it all worked through the dough. Let those who have ears understand, right? What's he talking about? I mean, yeast and dough. I think, again, I think what we do is we overlay this idea of small to big into this parable as well. But if you, if you really think about it and you really dig deep, and that's what we're going to do here in a second, I think Jesus means something bigger. 
He's not just saying that small things lead to a big result. I think Jesus is trying to, and we have to get into the Jewish mindset here for a second. We have to think of yeast, because yeast wasn't something that you just put in bread back then for the Jewish people. Yeast, or the lack thereof, was a major thing in Judaism. Making bread without yeast was a big deal to them. Um, it goes all the way back to the Exodus story. So there's three major feasts um, in, in Judaism that humans would make bread for and approach to the divine with, right? So there's three different feasts that in order to approach to the, the divine, the spiritual, God, Yahweh himself, you have to make unleavened bread. And so um, uh, Exodus chapter 12 says this. It says, this is the day you are to commemorate for the generation to come, and you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread. Uh-oh, not too far. You are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off. That's Exodus chapter 12. Then again in 23, it says, Do not offer a blood sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. Exodus 34 says a similar thing. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. And do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover feast remain until morning. So for seven days of the Passover specifically, all yeast was to be removed from the house. You couldn't even have it in your home. So there's no wonder maybe that this mindset seeps into the people that yeast is a symbol for things that are unclean. It's a symbol for something that is maybe evil or bad. Now they ate bread with, um, with yeast in it, but when you approach to the divine, when you approach God, you don't bring yeast to the party. You just don't. Paul would even use it in Galatians 5 as kind of a warning against poor influences. He says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So what's Jesus saying? When he uses the metaphor, the symbol of yeast, something that the Jewish people would be like, we don't approach God with bread with yeast. And here Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who puts yeast in her dough. What is God up to? What is Jesus saying? I think Jesus is reminding the people that the kingdom of heaven is going to be full of things and people you never expected to be a part of it. While the religious elite eat their unleavened bread out of some pious duty, but fail to love their neighbors as themselves, they will be on the outside looking in. When religious people don't see people the way that God sees them, but we still do our church stuff, we will be on the outside looking in. Because the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. That is put into the dough for everybody. And there may be more as well. Like I mentioned, um, there's the yeast is just different. It's something different. Many of you may have yeast in your refrigerators, right? In your refrigerators that you, um, you know, your starter uh, that you take care of and you put it out every so often and you feed it sugar and you keep it alive. Um, Sheena and I have tried to do that a number of different times and we fail. It always dies. And then we have to sheepishly go to that friend and be like, can we get another starter? And they're like, oh, I guess, okay. Um, but you know, what do you do with that piece, that, that, that jar? That most of you probably have it in a mason jar, right? Um, what do you do? You take care of it. You tend it. You feed it. You treat it with love and care. Or else it's going to do what? It's going to die. 
So maybe the kingdom of heaven is like people that we need to treat well, tend to, love, take care of. Those who we wouldn't think should be a part of the kingdom, maybe we should treat them with love and care and tenderness and take care of their needs. The kingdom of heaven is full of people that we are called to love and to take care for because they make us better. They make us better. We are all created in the image of God and we are all better when we're working together. So then Jesus wraps up with a few more parables about treasures and pearls um, and fishes and nets and, and all full of symbolism that, again, we could take another 30 minutes on each one, talking about each one. But he finishes his time with his disciples um, by reading uh, Matthew chapter 13. It's been on the screen for a little bit. He says, have you understood these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom with new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. So what does all this have to do with kingdom growth? I think the kingdom of heaven looks like the old and the new, something, something that is full of, of God's tradition and something that is full of God's... Um, story over told over and over and over and over again for the generations but it's also something new that God is doing today it is something new that God is calling his people into in their time and place today that's the story of God's people trying to understand and trying to do the best that they can to live in the kingdom of heaven on earth in their time and their place today the here and the now and we can miss out on it when we close our eyes and we shut our ears and we harden our heart to it I believe Jesus is calling us to open our eyes to the ever-growing kingdom of God something that starts so small but continues to grow and to grow and to grow into something bigger where the world can find rest and find a home. To me, it looks a little bit like this. Um, I'm a visual learner. It looks a little bit like this, where um, way back when, um, there's a starting point, right? There's a starting point. There's a starting point to everything. Um, we read about that in the, the first book of the Bible. Uh, there's a starting point. And not long after this starting point, with just a few, things get messed up, and God's just brokenhearted over the choices of his people because they've rejected him and they've chose for themselves, themselves instead of him. And so he chooses a small family, a remnant, Noah and his family, and they build an ark and, and God rescues them and saves them and then they start over again. But things don't go well from there. It's not long. It's literally like a couple of days and things are messed up again. Um, and, and, and the world chooses itself again and again and again over and over and over again. And eventually uh, God will choose one man, Abraham. And he's going to say what to Abraham, right? That your descendants will be as large or as big as the stars in the sky, too numerous to count as the sand on the shores, right? A promise of big a promise of big things for him and his people. And then we'll get to Isaac. The family is growing. Uh, we'll get to Jacob. Jacob's going to have 12 sons, and they're going to become the tribes of Israel. Um, the, the family is growing, right? Eventually they find themselves in trouble in Egypt. Uh, they fall into slavery, and God does what again? He chooses one man, something small, to go and rescue them, to take them out, 
to create something big, to find rest for the weary, rest for the broken. So then the nation of Israel grows into a nation itself. And God's, what's God's promise to them? God says this to them. He tells them in Exodus chapter 19. He says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Their job was not just to sit in their corner of the world and be happy with their God. Their job was to be a royal priesthood to the world a big tree that the rest of the world could come to and find rest. And if you don't believe me, just read the book of Jonah, where God sends a prophet to Israel's worst enemies, the Assyrians. He sends them all the way to the capital of their worst enemies. He doesn't want to go. We know that story. He doesn't want to go because he doesn't think they're worthy to be in the kingdom. But God twists his arm and calls him to go and he finally relents and he goes and he preaches the world's worst sermon. He doesn't even mention Yahweh. And what do the people do? They turn their hearts towards Yahweh. They turn their hearts towards God. And what does Jonah do? He sits and he pouts. Because he's like, no, they're not supposed to be in the mustard tree with me. They're yeast and I'm not. They're not supposed to be in the tree. And God's like, don't, you do you. What, you, you, you that's, not, that's not the way this works. I love you, Jonah. I love my people, but I love all people. And I want them in the kingdom just as much as I want you in the kingdom. But it's gonna continue to grow. The nation would continue to grow when we get King David and the, the, because of David's um, uh, prowless, the, the, the kingdom expands and it grows and it grows its borders, but honestly it doesn't welcome and love more people. It becomes a nation like every other nation where it wars and it fights and it looks down upon other people and other nations and it fights and it tells them they're less than. And so they go through trouble and they go through problems and they get broken down and they they go into exile and they're lost because they've closed their their eyes they've hardened their hearts they've closed their ears to what God has wanted for them and that's exactly why Isaiah comes onto the scene and he's going to challenge them this is not who you're meant to be this is not what you're meant to do and then we get to Jesus and Jesus changes it all Jesus tells us what it looks like, what it means to be a part of a growing, established new creation on earth where he calls us to want things to be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's his prayer for us. When we pray, what are we supposed to want? We're supposed to want things to be on this earth as it is in heaven. Things to be on this earth as it is in heaven. And that is a mighty big kingdom. So growing bigger, 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 wider, like a mustard seed and a bit of yeast working its way through the bread. But I think sometimes we miss it. We miss it. Um, and I think we miss it because we, we, we miss it because of what Matthew will say here at the end of this chapter. Matthew chapter 13. Um, I don't have it on the screen, so you're gonna have to follow along. Matthew chapter 13, he says this. Coming to his hometown... He began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. But then somebody else, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? 
where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do any miracles because of their lack of faith. Do you see what Matthew's doing? Man, he's a genius. He's doing something so big here because what he's done is he's been spending all this time uh, portraying the religious elite as people who are lack integrity. And then he spends this time in Matthew chapter 13 telling you what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And it's for, um, it's for those who you don't expect. And those who you don't think would get it, get it. And those who you think are supposed to get it, don't get it. And then he wraps up this, this, this discourse with Jesus going home. And uh, all the people that should have got it in his hometown, they start at first. They're like, oh, is this, man, where did he get all these powers and this wisdom? But then somebody's like, oh, that's just Jesus. That's just the kid down the street. No big deal. And they miss it. Because I think what Jesus is saying, or what Matthew's trying to, the point that Matthew's trying to get at, is it's not always the religious elite, but it's sometimes the people that are all too familiar with who Jesus is that miss the kingdom of heaven. It is the people who are all too familiar with their version of, of who they think Jesus is that miss the kingdom of heaven. They've got a picture of Jesus is this, Jesus is that, but he's certainly not this, and he certainly doesn't love my enemies, and he certainly doesn't love all the people that I don't like. Jesus is all these other things, but he's certainly not this. And so Matthew closes this discourse with this picture of the people who were closest to Jesus missing the point. Because they were all too familiar with their version of who Jesus was. That they couldn't see a bigger picture of the kingdom of heaven. So what is it for us? Do we have closed eyes and closed ears and hard hearts to what God could be doing amongst us? Do we miss out on participating in the kingdom of heaven because we're too worried about our version of Jesus? Or do we join in an ever-growing kingdom of heaven and be trees of rest to the weary and a home for the lost? Do we spread out our branches wide and we tell the world around us, come, have rest. There is good news in this place. And you can approach the divine whether you're yeast or whether you're not. Whether you're broken, whether you're lost, come to the table and partake in what is bigger than you might imagine it to be. Do we want kingdom growth or do we just want our little piece of things? You know, I want to be a part of something that is growing, something that is expanding the kingdom of God, not just standing still, sitting on the sidelines, waiting for myself to one day die and ascend to a cloud heaven. I want something bigger than that. It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough just to be here, but to be a part of a kingdom that is ushering in a new creation, heaven on earth, a part of something that sees church growth, individual growth, as a bigger picture to the kingdom of God. So what do we do? I want to finish with John chapter 15. Again, more tree imagery. I'm telling you guys, the Bible is full of this reminding us of where we're headed towards new creation. Sitting in the shade of the tree of life. Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Listen, that's those of us who have closed our eyes and covered our ears and hardened our hearts and don't bear fruit. He will cut us off from him. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by, my, by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love if you keep my commands. You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, and this is good, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. And this is where the tree gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Love each other. So my prayer is that we will be people who love each other and want kingdom growth that knows no bounds. Let us be people who want more and more and more to experience the life that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let us be a tree to the weary and including of those who Jesus would welcome into the kingdom. This morning, I don't know where you are in your journey. Maybe for you, you haven't joined the kingdom of God yet and you have not put Jesus on in baptism. And Jesus is saying, man, the kingdom is like a tree that no matter what is going on in your life, you can find rest and you can find a home in me. So if you're interested in that, if you're interested in putting on Jesus in baptism, we'd love to begin that conversation with you. Or if you're ready, we can move these balloons out the way, throw them off to the side, and we can put you on, put, put, put baptism on, or put Christ on in you through baptism, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Or maybe, and you just really need to be prayed for. Maybe you feel like yeast, and you've been shunned, and you've been pushed out of the, the kingdom of heaven, because for whatever reason, and you just need to know that you are loved and you are welcomed, and you are part of something bigger than yourself. I, I'm not sure what it is, but whatever it is, if we can pray for you, if we can talk to you, if we can just listen this morning. We'll have some of our elders up here, a few in the back. Um, me, Chris, uh, Nikki, our staff will be around. Um, if you have anything that you need to talk to or we can pray for you, uh, we would love to do that this morning as we stand and as we sing.